Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trading Desk Podcast. My name is Joshua Thanos, and as always, I'm your host. Today's episode will be a bit of a recap of roughly what happened about three weeks ago at Watches and Wonders and how that has really affected the market. Some really cool watches were released. Uh, We did a show, a recap show with Mike Manjos uh, just a few days afterwards. Um, So we're going to kind of stay away from Rolex and to focus on other brands. But um, overall, the market has been, there has been a slight shift in the market that we're seeing. And um, and I'd love to share that with you guys. So, uh, so we'll go ahead and get started. But first, as always, we have our customary wrist check. And since it's just me today, I'll go first. Um, today on the wrist, I have uh, a watch that's been in the collection for quite some time. I uh, haven't, haven't been wearing it quite a uh, Quite that often because there's other watches that have taken its place, but um, it's back on the wrist today, and that's the my Panerai Pam 233. This is a uh, 44 millimeter 1950s Luminor uh, in-house movement, the P2002, I believe. Um, manual wine, eight-day movement, GMT um, date with the linear power reserve. Uh, the best Panerai for the money, I believe. Um, I've been saying that for years now, and it and it still rings true. Panerai is taking a shift and is going kind of the the Hublot route of uh, just re-editioning the same cases that they're famous for in different materials, uh, in colors. Which I mean, I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not in charge of the brand. I probably wouldn't go that way. Uh, but you know, when you gotta when you gotta sell seventy thousand watches every year, you gotta figure out some way to to keep it fresh. So that's what they're doing. Um, so this is more of a, a traditional Panerai, but it's it's kind of a bridge between the old style Panerais and the new all-in house and whatnot. Uh, at 44 millimeters, it still fits my seven-inch wrist. Um, I'll, I always say that if you're looking to wear a 44 millimeter Panerai, if you like the way, if you like wearing a, a watch that looks large on the wrist but doesn't feel large, then a manual wine Panerai is the way to go. Slightly thinner, um, so it fits nicely on the wrist and. Uh, because they come with these with these rubber straps, you can strap them tight to the wrist and they don't move, so it doesn't feel large and clunky. Again, um, you know, most 44-millimeter watches I certainly can't wear. I mean, I'd say even a 41-millimeter Royal Oak feels a little large on my wrist, but the 44-millimeter manual wine Luminors are uh, are great, so highly recommended. If you can find one, you can find it for, you know, under $10,000, and I think you get... Uh, you get a lot of quality for, you know, relatively low price, in, especially in today's market. So, all right, guys. Well, let's get started. So, um, it's been about three weeks, almost a month since uh, Watches and Wonders. Um, Rolex released uh, the Green Goblin, as I like to call it, or some people are calling it the Yoda. Um, they're calling it uh, all sorts of funny names, the Sprite and whatnot, but the left-handed GMT with the green and black bezel. We haven't seen any of those delivered yet, so we don't know what they're trading at. And uh, But um, besides that, you know, the market has certainly taken a shift. Even before that, we were starting to see a, a bit of a shift. So let's talk about that first. The What we're seeing from a trading perspective, and, you know, we do a, a massive amount of volume all over the world. Uh, we have offices in Singapore, in Dubai, in Switzerland, and uh, where, where am I spacing? There's another office here, but regardless. So we have offices basically in every region of the world, 
and um, and we uh, were able to kind of see where things are trading at high volumes and whatnot. So one thing that we're noticing is a flattening or a slight downturn in the values of steel nautilus, uh, steel royal oaks, and some of and and also uh, steel daytonas, right? So the watches that kind of garnered the most hype and went to the highest heights, right? That went for, you know, in some cases, 10x their their original retail. Um, those ones are starting to pull back a little bit. Not not nearly back to, you know, nothing near retail or anything like that. But, you know, for example, if there was a Nautilus that was trading that went up to 150,000 last year, it's down to about 120 to 130. So we're seeing a bit of a pullback on steel, uh, steel sport watches. And I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, I, I don't really think that a steel Nautilus should be, uh, <clears throat> should be trading at $150,000. Like where, where's the merit there? I mean, there's, there's not much rarity. I mean, right. Like uh, paddock makes, um, you know, less watches than Rolex every year, but they're making more watches than most brands. So, uh, you know, why, why does a, a blue dial Nautilus trade for, you know, well over a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Demand is one answer, but there's other watches that have ton of merit and are certainly rare and, uh, and are guarding a little bit more attention. So where we're seeing some of the attention shift towards is precious metals, which, you know, we've been seeing that slowly turn, right? Like we, uh, initially we were always talking like, how could, how could a, a steel Daytona be, uh, at the same level as a, as a precious metal? Well, the answer is they're not anymore. Precious metal Daytonas we're seeing on the rise still. Um, week over week, uh, we are increasing our offer prices on those watches. Um, so steel, or sorry, uh, precious metal sport model Rolexes across the board seem to be strengthening a bit. Some more than others. Daytonas are definitely the most with funky dials. And uh, some dials are, are trading well above others. We're trying to figure out what the reason is. Um, you know, there's like the beach Daytona is, is a wild, uh, it, it, the prices are, are starting to skyrocket. So maybe there's a consortium of, uh, collectors who are looking for rare funky dial Daytonas. Uh, we're seeing those. We're also seeing, um, precious metal, oh, well, the, the presidents, right? So date eights and 36 and, uh, 36, 41 and forties, um, are all strengthening, continuing to strengthen. Uh, through this market, and it looks like some of the money is shifting away from the steel sport watches and into more precious metals um, in terms of the Rolex market. Um, on AP, we see the same thing. Uh, we're seeing a bit of a flattening of the uh, steel Royal Oaks. People are thinking to themselves, you know, why am I spending, you know, $60,000 for a time, uh, time and date uh, steel Royal Oak? When, you know, there's a, I can spend, you know, whatever, a few uh, a thousand dollars more. At this point, it's, you know, you're now you're spending a hundred thousand dollars for uh, a, a rose gold of the same, same watch, but precious metals are seeming, are really seeming to become uh, the dominant force in the market. Um, I mean, logically, there's going to be less of them, right? Uh, the metal itself is going to be more valuable. It also has a better presence. I think from a wearability standpoint, people are realizing, hey, listen, um, you know, if I'm going to be spending six figures on a watch, it should be precious metal, right? Um, and then in terms of paddock, we're seeing precious metal, but also complications are starting to really, really increase. Um, it's hit or miss depending on the, the model, 
but we're seeing a shift towards um, a lot of the a lot of the precious metal uh, complicated watches, chronos, annual calendars, annual calendar chronos, perpetual uh, uh, perpetual calendars, perpetual calendar chronos. All these references are seeming to shrink, and some of them skyrocketed uh, earlier in the year and have cooled off a little bit, but others are still strengthening. So we're seeing a, somewhat of a normalizing of the market in terms of logical sense, right? Like again, how many times? Have you thought to yourself, you know, why is a steel X watch worth more or the same as precious metal? Well, nowadays it seems like that's not the case. So I guess that's good um, in some sense and, you know, it's uh, bad in another sense because if you liked getting a, a great value and buying your your precious metal, uh, you know, Daytona or uh, Nautilus or whatever it may be, those days seem to have come to an end, right? Um, the market is somewhat normalizing a little bit. Uh, what is causing this? Well, you know, we've been talking about that for, for a few years. You know, the market overall seems to be caused caused by an influx of new buyers that are coming in. Um, and I've been theorizing, and it seems like it's ringing true, that, um, you know, the learning curve on these watches or on the and watch knowledge is certainly shortened tremendously, right? 10 or 15 years ago, excuse me, uh, before YouTube, before Instagram and, and and all these platforms, social media platforms, if you wanted to learn, um, have an in-depth knowledge about a watch, you had to find some obscure blog or a, a local friend or maybe trust your local boutique worker to hope that he somehow had a tremendous knowledge of these things. Nowadays, really, it just takes, you know, logging on to YouTube and spending a few hours a day. So uh, I'm attributing... This shift, it's a logical shift in the market and it's based on the learning curve, right? So guys that 2017, 2018, 19, and even 2020 got into the watch market looking to uh, you know, add something in terms of a um, as an asset to their portfolio or you know, a celebration of success. Now they understand that, hey, I can buy a Rolex and it doesn't lose value or whatever that may be, right? So that that's what pushed the steel sport uh, watch market up, you know, in such a uh, a linear fashion, like just a, like a straight line up, um, those guys now are able to uh, educate themselves. And now, you know, they're not afraid to buy the JLCs of the world. They're not afraid to buy the IWCs and all these other brands that are, that might've been more obscure in the sense that, you know, the, the education level was, was hard to accrue back 10, 15 years ago. Now you can learn, you can learn everything there is to know about Panerai in a day, just spending the whole day watching, watching, um, YouTube videos. So same thing with, um, with complicated paddocks, right? So if before the Nautilus made sense to you, right? Cause it was a steel sport watch. You can wear it every, anywhere you want it, you know, but the demand always was pretty strong around that watch. So it was a, a safe bet in terms of, um, uh, in terms of an investment. So now those guys who bought those watches in 2017, 2018, spent forty or $50,000, which was seemingly a very high price then. Okay, now the watch is worth, you know, well over 100000 They have all this equity, and now they have a, a higher appreciation for these watches anyways, and they say, okay, well, you know, I bought a watch for fifty. It's worth 120000 I have $70,000 in equity, and this complicated paddock, which now I understand is kind of more of the DNA of Patek Philippe anyways, is really appeals to me, and even though the trading price of that watch might not be as solid 
as this Steel Daytona, you know, I have so much equity to work with here. I'm going to take a shot and I'm going to buy something I, re I can really appreciate now. That's something something that maybe like, you know, all collectors can, like high-end collectors can appreciate. And that's, we are seeing that shift. Um, we're also seeing more buyers coming in from the super high-end market. So there's pressure from different areas in the market, right? So there's guys that started in the steel sport watches um, that are moving up market and moving into more complicated, more traditional watches, uh, more watches that have like horological merit uh, in a way. Um, we're also seeing super high-end collectors, guys who, who maybe spend 10, 15, 20 million dollars on art every year are now coming into the watch world and they're understanding that, okay, this is art as well, handmade watches. So um, it's funny to say when, when we're seeing kind of a drawback on some of the hype models from, you know, the big three, I guess at this point, Rolex, AP, Paddock, um, we're seeing still a driving force in F.P. Journe, in Debatune, in Moser. So the small boutique brands that make very high-end watches, you know, Romain, Romain Gautier, all these brands that, you know, uh, uh, Laurent Ferrier is, is even getting a bump now. Um, people are are looking to spend their money, but uh, Journe is not quite as quickly as it had in the past. So, so the, so the speed in which these prices are rising has slowed, which I think is good for the market, allows people to, you know, rationalize these purchases, but we're still seeing a, uh, an upward slope in terms of the, the, um, the value of, uh, of FP Journe. So that, I think that's very interesting. You know, <clears throat> we're seeing kind of a split in the market. The super high end is, is strengthening what where the what I would consider I guess mid tier even though the, the prices are wild you know six figure watches are mid tier now it's it, it really is crazy um, it's starting to flatten a little bit um, so if you're you know if you're looking if you're still looking to buy a watch for pure investment value it's time to be much more careful right um, it, you know two years ago it didn't really matter what watch you bought from Rolex Apier Paddock you. <laughs> You have a ton of equity in that watch these days. Now, um, you know if you bought a if you bought a steel Nautilus three months ago, it's it's probably worth less than than you paid right now, which was the case for you know decades before this. Um, but now the numbers are pretty big, right? So if you spent you know well over a hundred thousand dollars for a watch and now it's worth twenty thousand dollars less, you know it's kind of a big hit, and and um, so it's something to watch out for. So. That's kind of a, a state of the market that, as we're seeing it right now. Um, other brands, um, I had someone ask me today, you know, how's Panerai doing? Panerai is Panerai, right? Like there, there's some watches that hold value, some watches that don't. Um, I don't really see that market ever strengthening. They make 70,000 watches a year. They should probably make a quarter of that. I think that they would do, they'd be able to sell everything through retail and watches would actually be able to trade if they did less. But, you know, that's, that's, that's what they've built their company up to. It's very hard to scale back once you've already, you know, scaled up so far. Richemont is a brand, is a company that, you know, is looking to push numbers. Um, but, uh, you know, that's the way it goes. Uh, I'll tell you one thing, though. Richemont has done a tremendous job with Vacheron. And that's where I want to start in terms of the Watches and Wonders, right? So, um, Vacheron has released uh, a list of new overseas complicated skeleton overseas that I put these out. So, you know, usually there's going to be um, 
tradable wearable watches, and then there's aspirational watches, right? So like low-run watches that inspire people to buy um, some of their lower-end watches. And that's what I that's where I would classify these because these are not going to be really available. You're not going to be able to walk into your boutique and say, hey, let me buy one of these and walk out with, with a you know perpetual uh, skeleton um, overseas in rose gold. The watch is amazing, and it's going to inspire more people to keep looking at Vacheron. They, they're hitting like every year now for the last, I guess, three or four years. It's just one hit after another, and they're and they really have brought themselves back to prestige. That's a brand that the overseas is still um, rising in value. I mean, ugh, a rose gold blue dial overseas Gen Three used to be a thirty-five, forty-five thousand dollar watch. Now these these are well over a hundred thousand dollars. Um, I mean, uh, wholesale buyers like us are buying them at a uh, hundred or more. So um, they're starting to get the 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 recognition they deserve. I think there's still room to move because um, if you compare it to um, if you compare the watch, say side by side to an AP or to a um, uh, a Nautilus, I mean, in merit, level of finishing and design. I think the overseas blows everything out the water. Um, it's funny. It's funny. I, you know, I, I made an Instagram post not that long ago asking, you know, has any brand made a, a, a such a large turnaround or, or as big of as a turnaround as Vacheron? And I mean, I remember there's a video back from 20, must have been 2016, 2017, when, when the Gen 3 overseas was released, Vacheron was kind of in the tank. They weren't trading very strong. The Gen 2 Vacheron overseas was trading well below um, uh, retail. And then they released this Gen 3 that had a higher price point. The price, uh, the price point of the, the basic steel model was above the Nautilus, which was trading right at retail at that time. That, that watch was. And, and these things were taking massive hits. And, and Tim and I sat next to each other. And we talked about how it was over-engineered, overpriced, and unneeded in the market. Well, looks look who was wrong about that. Um, it, you know, it took what, six years, five or six years. But now you look at these things, trading at or above retail, still a tremendous value. The strap change system is amazing. The um, the finishing on the bracelet is has always been amazing. Finishing on the case is tremendous. And there's it's a prestige brand now, right? Vacheron, which had really fell out of favor as the Holy Trinity, in the Holy Trinity, like, you know, that's, it had always been Vacheron, AP Paddock, Holy Trinity, Holy Trinity. Richemont, with a series of bad moves, uh, kind of devalued their brand, but they're way back now. I mean, they they are absolutely red hot. Everything that they're pumping out is just seems amazing. People are so excited about this brand. So if you're thinking about getting into Vacheron, it's not a bad idea. It seems like the, the market is still uh, has room to move. I think they make about thirty to 40,000 watches a year, which is... You know, well under how many Paddock makes. Well, uh, about well, certainly less than what AP makes. Still, I think AP is making about fifty thousand watches a year. So, in terms of rarity, it's it's right there. Hopefully, we don't see large increases in production because that could spoil things again. But if they keep pumping out exactly what people want, <clears throat> that has merit and has you know this level of design and finishing, I, I mean, the sky is the limit for Vacheron. So kudos to Richemont for that. You know, we've been bagging on the large brands, Richemont and Swatch Group at LVMH for a long time. And, and you know, they uh, uh, Richemont has done either they've taken a step back and and done a hands-off approach or this is, 
you know, with guidance from the, you know, the mothership. I don't know the answer to that. Either way, it's tremendous. You know, Vacheron is really killing it. Um, I guess I could say something similar for, for Longa, though my feedback from, from my Longa customers, if we're staying on the Richemont track, is that um, this whole bundling nonsense uh, at the boutique is really starting to, number one, it's pissing off long-term collectors and it's kind of souring people on the brand. So they're, they're making amazing watches, right? Like Longa's always made amazing watches. They, they're seeing a, a, a tremendous uptick in, in demand. And that's, again, kind of goes in hand in hand with people who are looking for traditional complicated watches. They're looking at Longa and they're seeing, you know, this brand only makes four or 5,000 watches a year. So it's a fraction of Paddock, fraction of really all these competitors. So the rarity is there, but still you can go on Chrono 24 and you see their, their, the market is flooded with their watches, especially high end. And story that I got is I have a customer who's been a long, long term, a long time boutique customer, spent millions of dollars with Longa over the last decade, right? So think about what that means. If a guy has spent millions of dollars with Longa over the last decade, that means he's purchased many watches through the boutique that are worth way less than he paid. So there's never a question over over why he was buying these watches. He bought them because they he loved them and he spent he invested millions of his dollars into the brand, right? Direct from the boutique. Whether they gave him a, uh, a discount or not, I, I don't know. I didn't get into it. But this was the scenario. So he he calls up his boutique rep and says, hey, I'd love to get the new Lumen, right? Great watch. He loves it, okay? He's not asking for a um, uh, an Odysseus that he knows is going to trade over. He wants the Lumen. Maybe the Lumen trades over as well, but this is the watch he wants. So the answer to that was... Hey, hey, Mr. Customer, I know you spent X amount of millions of dollars with us over the last decade or so. I know you want this Lumen. If you want it, you have to spend $400,000 on a minute repeater as well. Well, he says, I don't want the minute repeater. It's not a watch that I'm interested in. Sorry, that's the only way this is going to work. So you got to think, put yourself in the, in, the, in the shoes of that customer. This is not a guy who came off the street who just decided he wants to get into uh, longer that they can't trust and they don't know what he's going to do with this watch because they know it's going to trade over or whatever it may be. This is a long, long-term customer who has been a supporter of the brand for a long time. And the conversation that I had with him was that he doesn't know if he's going to buy another longer. It, it's it, that's that's how it soured him so much. Um, and he said he's like, listen, if I wanted the minute, if I liked the minute repeater, I would have bought it. He could afford it, but it's just. A matter of principle, it's not interested. So what's happening is these bundled watches are ending up on the market. So somebody spends however many thousands, uh, uh, thousands of dollars on a watch that they don't want in order to get a watch they do want, and then the watch that they don't want, they go ahead and sell to try to recoup some funds because they're not interested in it, and it devalues the brand across the board. So it's um, <clears throat> it is it's an interesting play. Uh, I understand. That you know they're taking advantage of a hot market, or maybe they're looking at it as a way to protect themselves against flippers. It just doesn't seem like it's being handled correctly. And 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 again, I'm not. Ha I'm getting these. I'm having these conversations secondhand, right? So I'm not having the conversations with the boutiques, right? So all I can say is all I'm getting is the information that I'm getting from the customers. But I've had multiple conversations with people who say that listen, these these conversations are not handled well. They're clunky. They're borderline disrespectful. Or the reps in the office are saying, oh, listen, this is just from Germany. We we don't want to do it like this. This is this is what Germany is telling us. Either way, it doesn't give you the warm and fuzzies. 
right? Nobody needs to buy any of these watches, right? So, you know, these, these are a want, not a need. So when you don't make someone feel good about a purchase, uh, it, it's going to come back to bite you in the ass. I hope they can figure out some way, make, just raise the prices. That's, that's what I've heard across the board. Listen, if they just charge more for their watches, we'll still buy the watches because we've always loved them and the watches have a ton of merit. So maybe that's the answer for, for Longa. Either way, they're still doing well. Um, the new Odysseus in, in titanium is amazing. It's bumped the market for Odysseus across the board. So if you already own one, congratulations, it's worth more now. That I cannot wait to see that watch in person. Um, I love titanium as a uh, as a um, like a case metal for a watch. I love it across the board. I've, I I can't remember the last time I I met a titanium watch I didn't love. So uh, personally, I'd love to own the watch, uh, but I don't have the extra four hundred thousand dollars to spend on the minute repeater to get that to get the titanium uh, uh, Odysseus. And I know it was it was either only a twenty five or fifty piece limited edition. So congrats to anybody who's, who's got that watch. That's an amazing watch. And I'm sure that we'll see them online asking, you know, many multiples of the original retail soon enough. Um, so let me think here in terms of Richemont, I think that was, that was it. Richemont had, oh, also, uh, IWC, they had some cool releases. They did, uh, the Mojave desert top gun edition that we're, we're getting some heat there too. I, I am seeing some more interest in IWC, Similar to kind of the Panerai thing, people like the watches. They're not going to be trading really over list. It's going to cost you something, but because of the market in general, it's an all boats rise scenario. If you, you know, in the past, if you bought a big pilot at retail, I mean, you're getting less than half your money back these days. That's not the case. So, um, you know, it's it, it, take the shot. If you like the watch, take the shot. It's going to cost you something. You're not making money on it. It's not a, it's not a Rolex investment watch or a paddock or whatever, but if you do like the watches, I'd say go out and buy yourself an IWC. They have merit. They're a great sport watch. And if you don't want to spend, you know, multiples of retail on a Rolex sport watch, IWC, Panerai, these are great brands to look at. And they're holding more value every day, right? Um, alrighty, moving on. So, um, <clears throat> oh, Zenith. So Zenith had uh, a bit of a hit with the Chronomaster Sport. Earlier in the year, the the Zaytona, as it's called, so they released uh, on the on the back of that, uh, they released as they do more versions. Uh, they have a, a full rose gold. They have a two tone version. Um, those watches have come down substantially. They were trading at or above retail initially. Um, now they're definitely um, at or below. So uh, you know, as we kind of we suspected that, I'd say that if you're comparing that straight up with the Daytona. It looks like a Daytona from across the room. Other than that, it doesn't feel like a Daytona. It doesn't work like a Daytona. It's it's a Zenith, right? So if you're buying that watch because you love the Daytona and you couldn't afford it, you didn't want to pay over list, um, I'd say stay away from it. You know, it's it's not really going to be. It's not a, it's not a Daytona. If you like Zenith and if you like the heritage, if you like the movements, if you like what they bring to the table, it's a great watch. If you want to buy a full rose gold version of that watch for however much, probably thirty. $30,000 more. Let me see what the price is on that. If I could pull this up quickly. Um, yeah, $38,200. I'm not spending that, you know, $40,000 for a gold Zenith, but I doubt you would have to. Uh, I'd say soon enough, these will be trading on the market and certainly well below. Though on the, uh, let's see here, on the Zenith website, it says it's out of stock. So maybe there's something I don't know about this watch and they are, um, they are going to be, 
a bit of a hype watch. So um, that's LVMH. Oh, so Tudor released a uh, a new GMT. Looks suspiciously, uh, almost exactly like the uh, the root beer. So now, if you don't want to spend twenty five thousand dollars for for a Rolex root beer, you can buy a uh, a Tudor root beer. I think it's cool. I like the two tone Tudors. Uh, they're gold plated. Um, they're going to be well cheaper. They're probably going to trade a bit above retail uh, initially, and as just like all tutors, they will you know come back down, but they hold good value. So don't feel bad about you know feeling like you're buying like a junior Rolex. Like it has its own merit. It wears different. Um, I'd say if you if you like the look of the root beer and you don't want to spend twenty five thousand dollars on a two tone sport watch, get the tutor. I, I I'm absolutely all about that watch, and you know you can. Then you could put it on a strap, which changes it even more. So I like what they do, did with with that. Obviously, they did the Black Bay Pro, which a lot of people like. Um, I've gotten tremendous. I mean, you know, Godberg, our parent company, is a is a Tudor dealer. So I've gotten a lot of people asking me about that watch. Uh, there is a long wait list. That watch will probably hold value much longer than the two tone version. If I had to guess, I think it's that might be the best Black Bay. I, I went through a phase where I bought every single, the 2019 I went through and bought like every version of Black Bay that existed at that time throughout that year. Um, some of them cost me a little bit of money. Some of them I traded back for what I paid. It was a fun experience. I liked the watch. I even bought, went back and bought some vintage Tudor Submariners. I love Tudor. I think they have a lot of merit. Um, you know, it's not like, a, oh, you can't afford a Rolex. No, these are, these are great watches. So the Black Bay Pro, 39 millimeters, I think it's a great piece. Um, I haven't seen it on the wrist yet. When I do, uh, I'll probably give a full report and maybe I'll be an owner, especially at the price points that you're seeing these at. Um, what's the retail on this watch? Oh, I didn't have it pulled up here. Sorry, guys. <clears throat> so yeah, $4,000 for four grand on the bracelet. Like you can't beat that, right? That's, that's, that's a great watch, the Black Bay Pro. Great aesthetic. I love black and yellow. Like it's, it's. I think it's spot on. They did a great job with that watch, and a lot of people love it. Um, what else? So, Japek, they don't make a lot of watches, but it seems like they just make a, a ton of different versions of the Antarctic and different dials. So I don't know if that's that's what they're skewing towards. Seems like they're they're gaining popularity. Uh, those watches are gaining in value. I like them on the wrist. The bracelets are really beautiful. Uh, ownership is awesome. It, uh, so, you know, if you're looking for a small boutique brand to kind of get in near the ground floor, I mean, the Antarctiques are still trading strong, but you know, for 20 some odd thousand dollars, you can get uh, a small run, um, handmade boutique brand, uh, sport watch and you're not spending six figures. So I'd say go for that. And, and it, I think it's safe to say that that watch will probably raise in value since they, they, they are small runs. Um, Moser. So Moser released a uh, Pioneer cylindrical tourbillon and uh, skeleton watch. So as an owner of a Pioneer case, I love the watch. I love the brand. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a Moser fanboy. I love the ownership. I love the brand. I think this watch is amazing. Uh, I mean, definitely out of my price range. I think it's very limited as well. I mean, Moser only makes about 15 watches a year. So, but that's more of an aspirational watch. That's a watch that you know a collector will see that watch and then get interested in Moser. And I'm seeing that too. So. Twice this week, I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but I had twice this week I had guys who were not watch collectors in any sense. One guy only has a tag wire, and that's what he's had for the last decade. Um, his 50th birthday is coming up, and he wants to buy himself a nice watch, and he's decided on Moser. So there's that, and I have another guy who's 
kind of a similar situation. Um, wants to get into watch collecting and is like really looking at Moser. So we're seeing more demand at, uh, coming towards Moser. The brand is kind of giving people what they want. Um, I have seen some mock-ups and drawings of some really cool streamliners. I've also heard some rumors about maybe discontinuations of certain streamliners and whatnot, which would definitely bump up the value of those watches. So from an investment standpoint, uh, it's not a bad place to look, even though the streamliner, like the, the, the Green Dragon or the Green Liner, or whatever you want to call it, is trading you know almost double the retail. I think it retails 21.9. It trades for almost 40. Um, but even still, there's room to go. I mean, that watch... If you haven't tried on a streamliner, the 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 <clears throat> the forty millimeter green dial streamliner wears the way I f I feel like a Nautilus should. That's that that was my impression on that watch. It feels solid. It feels great. Feels smooth. It has a great aesthetic, a great look, great feel. Um, I was when I bought my uh, collective horology Pioneer, I was initially looking for. Um, the Streamliner 42.7 millimeter flyback with the blue dial. That's the watch I wanted, but for roughly half the price, I got my Pioneer. I still kind of want that Streamliner. The prices keep keep rising. It might be a uh, stretch goal now, but um, but I'd say if you're again, if you're looking at if you're now moving away from the mainstream brands and looking to get into a uh, a small boutique brand. Moser's doing great things. Jopec is doing great things. Um, so those are brands that I would say take a look at. They're probably safe bets in terms of your money, but also just amazing watches. <laughs> what's going to happen is you're going to buy those watches and never want to sell them. That's 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 what's going to happen. Um, so, oh, Grand Seiko had a tremendous release. This Kodo Constant Force Turbion. I thought I was looking at a, like a Grubel when I saw this watch. Um, I think they're only making like five pieces. And again, another aspirational watch. So this is a watch that somebody who's never thought about Grand Seiko sees this online and now looks to buy like a, a snowflake. So look, you know, that that's good for the good for the brand. That watch is amazing. If you read the technical technical specs on that watch, it is tremendous. Hopefully Tim will get one of his hands on it and he'll do it justice with a with a full review. But Grand Seiko, I mean, knocked it out the park. Uh, you know, certainly grail watch status for anybody who's who's kind of looking for an esoteric um, watch from, from a brand that is like not known for making things like this. And then, uh, oh, the, the other last watch that I saw that I thought was amazing, um, as a release from Watches and Wonders was Chopard. So Chopard released, let me pull this up here. Where is it? Oh, here it is. So Chopard released a full strike, um, minute repeater, which is something that they, they developed the full strike movement minute repeater back in 2016 i believe so they just released this watch in full sapphire the watch is amazing similar to how i feel about the grand seiko right it's an aspirational watch i think they're only making five of these i don't know if it's five a year or five total <clears throat> so don't expect to see this on people's wrists out out and about but um it's a watch that's going to bring eyes onto the brand i mean luc we've been saying this for a while is a high horology brand in itself, right? Uh, Chopard is known for women's jewelry. They also make men's watches. Um, you know, the Milmiglia is their sport watch. They have some really cool watches. But LUC is a 
is a high-end manufacturer within the brand. It's being funded by all the profits from their jewelry brand. So, you know, they can kind of just take risks and this is what they did. I mean, this thing's absolutely amazing. Like if you're if you're thinking about getting a Grubel, you know, why not buy something like this? Um, again, there's only they're only making five pieces, so it's not going to be highly available, but it's going to bring more more eyes to this brand. I mean, we're seeing an uptick across the board. For example, like uh, brands like Daniel Roth, right? Like which used to be when I started the industry, somebody showed me Daniel Roth and they said, "This, hey, these watches are cool, but nobody wants them, so they're worthless, right?" Nowadays, like we, I was looking at a Daniel Roth Turbion that a customer bought, must have been like five or six years ago for $27,000. The watch, it looks like it's going to be trading for well north of 50. So hopefully LUC uh, Chopard can, can pick up some of that heat when, when, as people are looking for more handmade, high horology pieces with high level of finishing and real merit, right? As the... As the learning curve, as people move along the learning curve and they, they look for more and more watches, then these watches will become uh, more popular and then it'll make them more um, more liquid. So then less people will be afraid to purchase this watch, right? So if it, you know, at one point in time, if you bought an LUC, um, you know, you there was probably two dealers on the planet who would buy them. We would be one of them. So you were at the mercy of whatever we decided to pay. Um, nowadays, you know, there's many, many dealers across the board are buying kind of everything. There are There is a small group of, of dealers that we've seen, and, and this is what we're kind of attributing to some of the super high pushes in some of these hype watches, but that were looking to push the market on the same references over and over again so they didn't have to expand their knowledge base. They could just focus on certain references that they could buy and sell back from their customers. But it seems like that's kind of going away. Like you, you can only do that for so long. And then those dealers are going to move on. They're not really into this market. And and also, you know, we're seeing uh, more and more guys being comfortable buying and selling from private dealers, which is good too, private collectors. You know, uh, eBay and Chrono24, the listings have have quadrupled from, you know, going four or five years ago, right? Uh, I think... <clears throat> I think I was I I overheard someone saying that something along the lines of that Watchbox is maybe the highest grossing dollar amount seller on eBay, you know, selling watches, right, high dollar items but also like high volume. So, I don't know if that's the case or not, don't quote me on that, but the point is people are more comfortable with trading watches with dealers. There's more dealers out there willing to uh, risk their money on more esoteric watches, which is good, strengthens the market, and there's also more private buyers that are willing to go to eBay, willing to go to Chrono24, and that's that's good for everybody. You know, when when you can get into a watch, and you don't necessarily have to make money, but you don't lose 70% of your money to get out of it, right? If it, if it costs you 10, 15%, that's doable for most people, and it makes the, uh, makes the, um, uh, the hobby you know, more enjoy enjoyable across the board. So, uh, last mention, uh, let me see if I covered everything here. Yep. From watches and wonders that I liked. Oh, last mention. And I know this will get some hate, but, um, I've, I've been kind of a undercover Hublot fanboy for a long time. I've owned some big bangs in the past, but, uh, the big bang in, uh, integral ceramic, the full ceramic and funky colors, full ceramic bracelet, full ceramic cases, I mean, their movements, nobody talks about Hublot and how they, they invested a ton of money, ton of time, ton of effort into making 
movements that have merit. They used to use the shit of the shit movements, right? Like uh, we used to have a watchmaker that worked for them and he's like, listen, man, their movements are like $250 movements and they're selling them in $20,000 watches. That is no longer the case anymore. Um, Ublo has made a concerted effort to increase their um, their level of finishing, their level of technical engineering into the in the movements. Their um, uh, their movements, their Unico movements across the board are have merit. And now that they have, now they're they're, but they are staying true to their to who they are and what they do, which is you know they they like to look at different materials. So they have full like a, like they have powder blue ceramic. Like who's doing powder blue ceramic? It's amazing. I mean. It's it's not an everyday wear watch unless you're you know on Miami Beach maybe, but the fact is that it's a cool watch. Uh, you know I would certainly maybe wear this watch and if it was all black or maybe like a subdued color, but I do like this powder blue. So they make it in a dark blue, they make it in a green, they make it in like that same Mojave sand color which I would probably wear. They're fun watches. They've always been fun watches. They have much more merit now. Uh, you know, are you gonna buy a new blow and flip it for a a a profit? Absolutely not. Um, you know, that's that's not going to happen. But, you know, you're going to lose less money than you did in the past. It's going to cost you less. And, you know, if you want to buy one, you can usually get a nice discount from retail. They did release these Square Unicos, um, which kind of like uh, evolution of the spirit of Big Bang. Uh, I, don't, I don't like these watches. I don't know anybody who does. I don't think they'll do well with these watches. I think they're very ugly and strange. It's a strange idea for a square watch. Maybe they think that they can kind of take some of the Richard Mill heat, but Richard Mill watches are actually like nice to look at. So, um, all right. So besides that, I think I think that kind of wraps it up. That's kind of my recap on on all the cool stuff. I mean, uh, Paddock also made some nice releases, but it's really just dial colors that they've uh, that they've changed. I mean, the the uh, what do they call it? The charcoal charcoal dials. On the the fifty three twenty six, I mean, it's an amazing dial. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, I know some folks who've got this watch in, uh, already delivered. It's a great watch. It's gonna bring. Uh, you know, I like to focus more on their complicated watches as opposed to the sport watches. I think it's a good move. Um, I assume the next big releases that we get from Rolex or from Patek, sorry, will be Nautiluses again though. Um, the fifty two twenty six G also. That's a beautiful watch. Uh, we're seeing like a a movement back towards Calatrava, and I like that, and I think they're doing a great job. All right, guys. Well, um, that's that's my thoughts on kind of the you know the state of the watch world right now in terms of the market. Uh, some of the releases from Watches and Wonders. If I miss anything, which I'm sure I have, send me an e angry email, jthanos at the watchbox.com. You can reach me on Instagram as well at uh, Mister Thanos. Um, I'm looking for more guests. If you know anybody who's interesting, who wants to talk watches, who has a great angle on it, and you think that would uh, would be fun for me to talk to, uh, please reach out to me. If you have any topics that you want to see me cover that I haven't covered before, um, please reach out as well. Send me an email, jthanos at thewatchbox.com, or reach me on Instagram, at Mr. Thanos. All my contact info is there. Um, otherwise, until next time, again, we are... All right, we didn't go an hour. We did 43 minutes, so if you're listening, like I, like I always say... We love you, you're a champion, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, and talk to you later. Bye.